0: Oh, have y'all seen the movie War Room yet? Yes, fantastic. I, uh, I feel like that guy who was eating dinner with his girlfriend who shouldn't have been, and y'all all of a sudden had a stomach attack. Now, I'm not doing anything I shouldn't be doing, so I don't know y'all know that, but I, I feel the way that guy felt right there. So, uh, I don't know. Hold on just a second. This is weird. Uh, things are a little bit dizzy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't preach sitting down, y'all. It's awful. I just, I've just, tried to do that before, and I can't. Ashley, what did you feed me last night? That was it? Oh, that's right, I cooked, didn't I? I did. Uh, oh. Ah, sorry. I apologize. Most important sermon I'll probably ever preach in my life, on the return of Jesus. So thank you, Daniel, for your prayers. Let's just give it a, let's give it a shot. Y'all ready? All right, let's turn in our Bibles. We'll start reading the Word of God. Maybe, maybe that'll get us through, whatever this is. Revelation chapter 19, I'll begin reading uh, in verse 11. And we'll go through verse 21. This is Jesus' triumphant uh, return. As you read the Word of God with me, would you be praying for me as I, uh, as I preach this message? And uh, I thank you very much. Um, let, let me give you just a little heads up before you read the text. After you read this text... Uh, you're going to say, wow, that is the most amazing passage of Scripture that I've ever read. I've never seen Jesus quite like this. The Bible says that He has fire in His eyes. There's a sword that protrudes out of His mouth, and He comes to execute vengeance upon His enemies. Now, in order for this to happen, and it will, things on earth will have to be very difficult, and very difficult indeed for Christianity and for the child of God and for Uh, religion in general and we are seeing that progress the more and more we live the closer we get to the return of Christ and so let me read it keep that in mind as we go through this text now I saw heaven open John said and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and he makes war and his eyes were like a flame of fire And on his head were many diadema, not stephanos, not crowns of victory, but crowns of royalty and authority and kingship. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe that was dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, they followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, he himself. Notice that twice, the emphasis, the emphatic Greek pronouns, not only he, but he himself. John wants us to know that the babe born in Bethlehem and crucified on Calvary is this guy. This is him. This is Jesus Christ. It is he himself he treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And He has on His robe and on His thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So Jesus here comes uh, with His saints. But notice in 17 through 21, He defeats His enemies. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, and he said to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come. And gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all the people, free and slave, both micron and megalon, both small and great. And I saw the beast, now it's beginning to make sense. Remember the beast, the synonym for beast is antichrist. The future world leader, demonically possessed, really Satan himself. The beast and the false prophet and Satan, the unholy trinity, has deceived most of the people living on planet earth to the point that Christianity is no longer tolerated it's hostile. They're against it. They're persecuting it. And now they turn their attention to the king himself to make war with him and I saw the beast, the antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies and they all gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from his mouth. Who sat on the horse and all the Ornias, all the birds were filled with their flesh. There's a massive dis- difference between the first advent and the second coming of Jesus Christ. The first time he came born very humbly, born of the virgin peasant girl Mary placed into a a feed trough, there were no place, no room for him in the inn. And Jesus Christ, born for the first 30 years of his life, very little recorded, if anything recorded, just lived a very anonymous life. But as he grew in stature and favor with God and man, at the age of 30, he begins his public ministry. And Jesus Christ, the kindest, most gentle, powerful, amazing person who ever lived, taught us how to connect with God, showed us how to treat one another, how to love and how to lay down our lives. And because of his great life, he was taken up, falsely accused, beaten beyond recognition, impaled upon a cross, hung there to die, and he died. And this same Jesus who arose from the dead and who ascended back to the Father, this same Jesus is coming again. And John says he's coming in power and in great glory, and all of his enemies will be slaughtered." You say, but wait a minute. That's not the Jesus I know. You need to know this Jesus. Uh, He who was slaughtered will one day slaughter his enemies. I was thinking about it this morning. I was thinking about the person who was going 125 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour school zone, totally inebriated, texting. And the officer pulls him over and says, "Uh, sir, you're in big trouble. And that man appeals before the judge, appears before the judge, and the judge looks at him and says, sir, in light of all that you've done, here's what I want to do. I want to pardon you. I want to forgive you. Go and do this no more. And that guy who's been arrested walks up to the judge, slaps the judge in the face, grabs the judge by the beard, and slams his face on the bench on the desk and walks out. How would you feel if somebody were to do that? That's exactly what we've done to Almighty God. Jesus is coming back, the bumper sticker says, and boy is he mad. And you know what? That's true. Would you be mad? Would you be angry at a world that you created and a world that you loved and died for has totally turned its back on you? I tell you what, guys, this is a a powerful passage of Scripture. It's a text that is very riveting, very moving. Jesus is love, absolutely. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is awesome. And Jesus has given you an opportunity to know Him today as your friend and as your Savior. Because one day, He will indeed be your judge. You know why this is so strange for us today? Part of it is because we don't believe it. And part of it is because we don't know our Bibles but I'm here to tell you today, this same Jesus is coming again and I'm so delighted that I know Him as my Savior and my King it's nothing that I've done, it's because of His mercy and grace that He saved me and changed me and made me a herald, a proclaimer, a preacher of the gospel let me me share a little few of these things that are going on in our world and I think it'll help set the scene as to Revelation 19 not long ago I was knocking on doors in our neighborhood and. A gentleman told me, get your trash, take your trash, and get off of my property. I don't want to hear about your church, and it's just right down the road here, right right in the Great Hills neighborhood. Take your trash and leave me alone. Kim Davis has been arrested and she's placed in jail because she refused to give same-sex marriage license. And a guy caller in Austin, Texas, called in and said, People, we have got to get over religion. It's ridiculous. Religion is nothing but a bunch of myths. The Bible is not true. This is a, lo- a local Austinite calling in saying it's a bunch of phony hogwash, and that lady should never be put in prison because she should never even believe that junk because that none of it's true. We just need to get over religion is what he said. Then I read this week that a, that a man with his male anatomy walked into a dressing room at a gym And he began to undress. And he was no female. He was certainly a he. And a lady looked over there, and to her amazement, this transgendered person was undressing with his male anatomy exposed. And she looked in the gym, and she's like, oh, heavens. And she went to the authorities, went to the management of the local gym, and said, here's what's going on. And they terminated her membership because she complained about that which is being worshipped in our day and age, the transgendered, bisexual, homosexual. We're just bowing down to its altar, and anybody who opposes it is going to be greatly persecuted. And then I remember the funeral of Pat Tillman. This is a few years ago, but Pat Tillman was a professional football player, became an army ranger. He was a a man's man. He was a soldier when he passed away fighting, Senator John McCain gave wonderful eulogy. Darius Rucker stood up and sang America the Beautiful, and then he sang Amazing Grace. And then Pat Tillman's brother Richard stood up and said these words, I love my brother, but he is not with God. There is no God. He's just blank dead. And I thought, oh God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on our nation. Jesus Christ is coming again, and people get ready because he is. Let, let, let me share with you why Jesus is coming again. Number one, because the Bible says he is. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, Jesus was taken up, the Bible says in Acts 1, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Okay, do I need to... You going to Stay with me. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, look at this, is coming again just like this, as you saw him go into heaven. Now, these are the angels speaking. Now, this is Paul in 1 Thessalonians, as he says, and then the lawless one, that's the synonym for the beast or the antichrist. He will be revealed. And by the way, he has not been revealed yet. We have not seen this person come on the world scene, but he's coming. He may even be alive today. But the Lord will consume him with the breath of his mouth, and he will destroy him, watch this church, when he comes or at his coming. Now I want you to notice these next words. These are from Jesus himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, he said immediately after the tribulation, this would refer to uh, Revelation, what we've been studying, chapters 4 through 19, the great tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. Does that sound familiar? That's what we've been studying over the last year and a half. The stars are going to fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then he comes. In other words, Jesus says, and then I come. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. You know why they mourn? Because they didn't believe it. They didn't believe He would come. They didn't think it. No, there's no way that the miraculous intervention of time and eternity, that that person who died on a cross, and people said He arose from the dead, there's no way that He's going to split the sky and come again. And Jesus said, I'm coming And all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the sound, a great sound of a trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So Jesus is coming again. I don't know what it does for you, but it motivates me to live for him. And it inspires me, especially in our day and age in our very post-Christian, almost anti-Christian culture. It inspires me and motivates me to stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before me and stand up and preach the Word of God in season and out of season when people want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it. First of all, in your notes there, if you'll notice, Jesus, He returns with His saints. Verse 11 says that heaven is open. If you remember in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, it says that heaven was open in that time It says, Heaven was open for John to come up and look in, but this time heaven is open for Jesus to come out on his white steed. He is not on a beast of burden. He's not on some jackass or some mule. No, not at all. Jesus is riding on a white stallion, a steed, and he comes with his saints here uh, to planet Earth. I want you to notice with me there are four titles that is given to Jesus in Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Y'all, please keep praying. Stomach's still messed up, but I'm going to keep on preaching, all right? So he has four titles, four names. The first one is he is called Faithful and True. Did you see that in verse 11? And he who sat on the horse was called Faithful and True. Now, it may be somewhat unfair of God to come and judge the world if He didn't give us any warning. It might be a little unfair if God just came and, and, and slaughtered His enemies, without giving any warning, but He has warned over and over and over. He's told us repeatedly, 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 Jesus Christ is God's remedy. Jesus Christ is God's only, is man's only hope for heaven. And Believe on Him and receive Him. And you do one of two things. You humble yourself, you receive Jesus Christ, or you become recalcitrant and defiant and you become stubborn, and you say, I don't care what God says. I'm going to live the way I want to live and then Jesus says okay if that's the way you want it but he says i am coming he is faithful and true and true to his nature he comes he's not duplicitous he's not phony he's not fake he's not insecure and insincere he comes romans 12:19 says beloved do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to wrath for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay, thus saith the Lord. Number two, he has another title. It's written there in your outline. It says his name is a hidden name. Now, this to me is fascinating. You know why? Because we don't know what it is. It's hidden. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, Jesus has a special name that nobody knows but him. Now, if you try to figure that name out, you're going to drive yourself crazy. You, You shouldn't try to figure that name out because nobody knows In fact, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says there are just some things that we don't know, we'll never know. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But God has revealed things to us so that we will obey Him. Verse 12, the Bible says, Jesus' eyes are like a flame of fire. His eyes are ablaze with the fire of the wrath and the judgment of God. And it says in Psalm chapter 2, verse 12... You've seen this passage. It says, kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those. Blessed are all of us who put our trust in him. And I read in the public reading of God's Word that when he comes, he has this diadema on his, on his head, on his brow. He's, he has these blazing, emblazoned eyes. He has this crown of royalty and dignity and authority. By the way, there's no thorns, there's no thistles, there's no briars on this crown, okay? This is a crown of royalty and dignity, and he comes in diadema and great glory as he descends from heaven riding on that white steed. Notice next name he's given is the Word of God. He's literally called in verse 13, the Word of God. I like the way one writer describes this, as he describes the logos of God in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In philosophy, and metaphysics, in, in all the, the greatness of the Greek mind, they had a name that epitomized and personified all the wisdom, all the grandeur, all the greatness of deity, and they called it the logos. And John pins this name to Jesus. And the writer says it this way, he says, John declares that in the beginning the Logos existed. He is none other than God Himself, not only bringing the Word but incorporating the Word in His person, in His life, and in His being. End of quote. In verse 13 it says, Jesus' robe is dipped in blood. There are two ways to interpret verse 13 about Jesus' robe dipped in blood. One, you can interpret it as the robe dipped in blood of his enemy's blood. Or his robe is dipped in blood. It's signifying his blood that was shed at Calvary. And I believe it's more the former than it is the latter. And the reason it is is because Isaiah 63, 2 and 3 teach us this. Isaiah 63 says, why is your apparel red? And why are your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is on my garments, and I have stained all of my robes. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage. Anybody? We know it, but we don't know it. We know that, but we don't know that. But the grapes of wrath are stored. He sleuths the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Dr. Robert Thomas says in Isaiah 63, 1 through 6, the Messiah will slaughter his enemies. Their blood will splatter on his clothing during the process. It is comparable to grape juice splashing on the wine treader in the wine press. The verse of the 14 says he comes and at his return he brings the saints of God with him. We are in his victorious train. We don't have to say anything. We don't have to do anything because the person riding on the white horse, he slays his enemies. He rules the day. Verse 15, again, twice it says, he himself, twice, he himself, he himself will do these things. And finally, the fourth title or appellation or designation given to the person riding on the steed is, is this word. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, I don't have a tattoo, but if I were to get one, I would base it on this passage of Scripture. <laughs> so you know, so the Bible doesn't teach tattoos. Well, it might. Because it says, he has emblazoned on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, it may be emblazoned just on the robe, but if I'm reading this correctly and literally, it's emblazoned both on the robe and on his thigh. Now, you teenagers are going to go out and get a tattoo and say, Brother Danny said (laughs) I could get a tattoo. And, you know, parents, I, I don't have one, by the way. I don't... I don't have any tattoos. I got birthmark and chicken pox holes, but I don't have any any tattoos. But Jesus just might have this tattoo. It says, and on his robe, look at it, verse 16, I didn't make it up. And on his thigh, there is a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Philippians 2, 9 and 10 says, in your same Bible, it says, everybody ever born. bow their knees and they will say, you are the Lord. And for most of the creation it will be too late. But they can't blame God. They can't. God spoke. God shouted it in creation. God shouted it. He screamed it through His Word. He shouted it through history, through the nature, the very conscience, the inner compass of man. God did everything possible to bring us to himself. But most of the planet, most of the world will say, thanks, but no thanks, I'm not interested. But there's coming a day that every single solitary soul born from Adam and Eve to the very last baby born, they're all going to bow down and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Wow. Wow. Hmm. So he comes with his saints. Number two, he defeats his enemies. Verse 17, again, we see angels play in a very prominent role in the apocalypse. He stands and he cries out with a loud voice. He's standing somewhere suspended between heaven and earth, if you're taking it literally like I am. And maybe with the backdrop of the sun, and and he makes a statement. He tells the birds, the orneos, the Greek word come, and gather together for the supper of the great God. Now, this is really interesting to me because we need to juxtapose. we just seen two suppers. In the early part of chapter 19, there was a supper. In the latter part of chapter 19, there is a supper. And by the way, you're going to eat one of these suppers. You're going to be, you're invited to the first one. But if you reject the first supper, then you have to participate in the second supper. Here's the first supper. The first supper, supper goes like this. Jesus Christ loves you. He laid down His life for you. Believe on Him. Receive Him. Be born again. Have your sins removed and cast into the depths of the ocean. As far as the east is from the west, God will remember them no more, because when He looks at you, He will see His Son, and His royal blood will be coursing through your body, and you will be as clean as the driven snow, and you will stand forgiven before God, and you come into this banquet, this feasting of Revelation 19. And you're there with Abraham and you're there with Moses and Peter and James and John and all the saints of God and and you're there with the persecuted church. Men and women at this very moment in time are being butchered and slaughtered because they name the name of Jesus Christ. And so God invites us. He says, come to this supper and be born again and be blessed forever. And we say, yes, Lord, and we're invited and, and we come. But if we say, no, Lord. I don't want that. I don't want no bloody religion. I don't want any of this. If I want to worship, I'll worship who I want to worship, and I'll worship Muhammad, or I'll worship Buddha, I'll worship Confucius, or I'll just go to South Asia and find me 330 million gods, and I'll worship any of them and all of them, but I don't have to worship just you, and I'm going to do what I very well want to do. And you do that, and you pay the price. You are forever Dying a death of hell in your sins, and you say, "But really, I, you know, brother Dan, I'm, I'm more into multiple choice. I mean, I, I'd kind of like I'd like many options here for my religion, you know? And and so I just I I, I want Jesus and some some others, but there really is no other." Man, what an unpalatable, unpopular message in the 21st century. In years gone past, when a pastor would preach a message like that, man, there'd be a holy hootenanny going on in America. People would be shouting. People would be saying, man, that preacher, he's preaching the Word of God. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But man, that's the truth. But there's a holy hush. There's a silence. Because some of you are looking at me like, he's lost his ever-loving mind. I mean. I thought he was educated. I mean, he, he sounds like some country hillbilly bun- — you know, it's kind of like when Billy Graham was interviewed a number of years ago — mercy, hold on — he was interviewed and, they, and, and the guy looked at him. and he says, are you crazy? Do you really believe this? Are you trying to take our country back 50 years? What's wrong with you? Billy Graham said, I'm trying to take us back 2,000 years. I'm trying to take us back all the way to the cross. So Jesus defeats these enemies. This is the battle of Armageddon, and it has not happened yet, but it is coming. And it will be the shortest battle on record. Jesus, remember Martin Luther when he said, One little word will fail him. A mighty fortress is our God. One little word shall fail him. That's what he's talking about. One little word from the mouth of God will defeat and destroy His enemies. So, verses 20 and 21 are some of the most graphic, I mean, incredible passages you'll ever read. The false prophet and the beast, Jesus snatches them up and He casts them into the lake of fire, where Satan and the rest of the unbelieving world will live and be assigned. This fire, it burns, but it does not consume. It tortures, but it does not annihilate. And all of humanity who rejected God's gift of love will be consigned to this place of hell. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but it is very somber for me. It it motivates me, it encourages me to make sure that I'm believing correctly and I'm, I'm serving the Lord and living for the Lord. If I was listening to this message and I wasn't a Christian, Man, I would want to be saved. I would want to say, Oh, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me, because you are the creator. You wrote the rules. I didn't write them, and I surrender my life to you. Now, in my brand of eschatology, the way I look at it is the next great event to happen will be the rapture of the church, the church of Jesus Christ taken out of planet Earth, and then seven years of the Great Tribulation, and then Revelation 19 happens, and Jesus comes again. What if I'm wrong? and I could very well be wrong. What if I misunderstood Scripture and there is no rapture of the church, that we all go through this together? Many people believe this. I hope the rapture's right. I just want you all to know, I hope we don't go through the great tribulation. But if we do, then we do. But you can't get around Revelation 19 because Jesus said it, Paul said it, the angel said it, over and over and over it says that He's coming again, that He's coming again. And the more we live, and the more time passes, the closer and closer we get to this time. I shared this message in Dallas a few years ago. It was at a convention, and it was a, usually it was, it was a lot of preachers. March of uh, 2011. Preacher, you were, you were there. It was in Frisco at the Dr. Pepper Arena, and I was sharing this message, and I preached uh, on the second coming of Jesus. And, you, and I shared it then. I'm sharing it today. And if the Lord tarries, I'll share it in a couple weeks in North Carolina. I'm going to share this message until Jesus takes me home because we need to hear this message. And there won't be many preachers preaching this message because I'm going to tell you why. It's not very popular. It can almost make you nauseated and dizzy. How about that? <laughs> no, really. I was, I was reminded just this week, preacher, when people come to church, they want to be encouraged. And I, and I know that, and I want to encourage you. I I not only want you to be happy, but I want you to be holy also. And I closed the message when I preached this a number of years ago here at Great Hills. It was on a Sunday night service, February of 2011. I hadn't been here a year. And I preached it in Dallas, and I'll I'll close. Some of y'all have heard this story, but let me share it one more time. I hope it encourages you. Speaking of Billy Graham a moment ago, John Quartz, who worked with the Billy Graham Association a number of years ago, him and his eight cousins went to visit their grandfather's farm. And on this farm, I'm telling you, life on the farm is kind of laid back. It's country boy, country boy. And they went out there, and their grandfather said, Oh, guys, I'm so glad you're here. And they said, Granddad, we want to go to the farm, man. We want to get up early. We want to work all day, and we want to do what you do, Granddaddy. And the granddad said, No, that's probably not a good idea. They said, no, 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 you don't understand. We're up for it. I know we're a bunch of city slickers, but, man, we're up for it. We want to do it. And John, at the time, was 16. He was the oldest of the eight cousins. And the grandfather said, okay, you can join me, but here's the deal. you got to stay until the very end. And they said, no problem. They got out there. Man, they were bailing that hay. They were plucking that cotton. They were getting busy. For about an hour, it was a lot of fun. And they looked at John, their oldest, and they said, okay, that's cool, we did it, we're, we're ready to go back in. And, and John said, we can't. We've got about another nine, ten hours out here. Noontime came, and they were beyond the point of being miserable. They were just scorched with sun, sunburn. They were hungry. They got them a little bit of lunch. About 3 o'clock in the afternoon, a storm came up. They ran underneath the, the barn, and they were, they were just like, this is the worst day of my life. And they were like, now, 3.30, we're going home. And he said, no, we're not. We're staying in the field because our granddad said, we, we've got work to do. Well, finally, about 6 o'clock that afternoon, that evening, They packed up, they went home, they took their showers, and as they sat down to eat, the grandfather looked at his grandchildren and he said these words. Children, i got to tell you something. God has blessed us. We have a great, fine farm right here. We've got a wonderful heritage. Let me tell you why God has blessed us. There have been times when we were hot and tired and grimy and we wanted to come in, but we didn't. We stayed in the fields. And all that you see is because we learned the lesson of work. We learned what it means to stay in the fields. And Adrian Rogers, like only he can, said these words. Do y'all want to know why some churches are thriving today? Because men and women have stayed in the field. It has not been easy, but they have been faithful to occupy until Jesus comes again. And when he comes, will you be found faithfully serving him? With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, let me lead us in a prayer, in a time of invitation. Just ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Our music team is going to come. They're going to lead us in a song we'll stand and we'll invite you to give your life to Christ, to believe on Him, to surrender to His kingship, to His royalty, to His authority. There's nothing malevolent, there's nothing sinister in Him at all. He is gracious, He is kind, but He is true. He is just and righteous altogether. And He is inviting you, He is pleading with you. He is pleading with you through the power of the Holy Spirit to be surrendered to God, to give your life to the Lord. And I invite you. If there's never been a time in your life when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, I invite you to do it now. I'm not trying to threaten you. I'm not trying to intimidate you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm just trying to tell you what the Bible says is going to happen. There's an everlasting hell to be avoided. There's an everlasting heaven to be enjoyed. And you get to make the decision. You get to decide today. For some of you, I I really believe this is probably your last chance. Your last chance. If you say no to Jesus today and walk away from here, you're never going to say yes. Because your heart is not going to get any softer than it is right now. And Jesus is pleading with you. He is tenderly calling you to surrender your mind, your volition, your will to Him because He created you, He owns you, He loves you, and He invites you to be His child forever and ever. Would you do that now? Would you admit to God that you are a sinner? Tell Him, Lord, I am a sinner and I deserve hell, but Lord, I want you to forgive me of all the things that I have done and I give you my life. Lord, I give you my past as tainted and as dastardly as it is And all the things that I have done that have offended you, a holy God, I ask you to forgive me with your blood, Jesus, that you shed for me on the cross. And friend, that's all you got to do. That's it. You don't have to give money. You don't have to jump and turn somersaults. You don't even have to get baptized. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ, turn from your sins, and give Him your life today. And I invite you to do that today. Others of you that know the Lord, you you're born again. Your your name is recorded in heaven. And I just want to encourage you, as and I'm encouraging me. Let's take people with us, man. Let's share this story. Let's tell people. Yeah, but brother Danny, they're going to laugh in my face. But that really, that's that's up to them. That's not up to you. God has not called us to convict anybody or change anybody. God's just called us to tell the story, and we'll let God handle them and let them answer for themselves. So. I'm inviting you as I'm inviting myself today, afresh and anew, to be bold, to share the gospel, to live the gospel, to tell all that will hear that there is a God and He loves them and He desires to redeem them if they will repent and believe. So, Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You. We thank You for Great Hills Baptist Church. Lord, thank You for this church for 60-plus years has been shining brightly in the city of Austin. And we ask you, God, to give us favor as we continue. Lord, we want to shine until you come again. Help us, Lord, not to compromise. Help us, Lord, not to go the way of so many that have abandoned, Lord, the sacred scriptures and abandoned, Lord, the tough parts. Help us to speak the truth in love. God, help us to stand. When so many are falling, God, help us to stand. Be strong, not haughty, not proud, not arrogant whatsoever, but, Lord, humbly stand and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach it to the nations, in season and out of season. Lord, we pray in today that there would be an, an in-gathering of your people. That God, in your sovereignty and in your election, God, those that are going to be saved, Lord, I thank you that they're going to be saved. And, they, and, and Lord, the hell can't stop it. So I just rejoice today, God, of those that you will call, and they will answer that call. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen.